Welcome to episode 26 of Make Me Watch It, the podcast where you, the listener, determines which of the over 800 unwatched movies I have in my collection I'm going to watch next. This month, we are taking a look at In the Mood for Love. This was originally released on September 29th in the year 2000. It's something I picked up one year on vacation in the States, because at that time, we didn't have good distribution of Criterion Collection titles to Canada. So every time we went to the States, I would watch Barnes & Nobles for sales, and, you know, sale or not, I would end up coming home with whatever the limit was for that trip on how much I could bring back tax-free. So I was accumulating Criterion Collection titles faster than I was watching them, just like every other kind of title in my collection. We chose it this week because director Wong Kar-wai, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that somewhat remotely correctly, is often regarded as one of the most romantic directors in film today. This episode is released on Valentine's Day. My wife and I were watching it prior to Valentine's Day. I figured something romantic would work. Turns out that this is a movie she was also excited to see because it's got quite the reputation in her home country of Vietnam, but she hadn't seen it yet herself. So the director is actually listed on the IMDb as Carway Wong, He's directed a number of movies, including Chungking Express, which is my personal pick for the best picture of 1994, the year when Forrest Gump won out over Quiz Show, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, and The Shawshank Redemption. Bit of a controversial pick, I know most people agree that it shouldn't have been Forrest Gump, but most people say, is it actually supposed to be Pulp Fiction or Shawshank from that year? But Karwe Wong, or Wong Karwei, however it's properly pronounced, both directed and wrote it. And when I say wrote it, this is a director who comes up with scenarios and characters, but he really values input from his cast. So they'll try different versions of different scenes and take the story in different directions with a rough outline and no script. So all the dialogue is improvised, and he trusts the actors to improvise it. And they've clearly done a good job because that's not something I realized until after I'd finished watching it. And this is the second film by this director that I've seen. So the movie is about a couple of neighbors. So two married couples end up renting adjacent apartments in the same building at the same time. And the couple's last names are Chan and Chow. Mr. Chan and Mrs. Chow end up having an affair but they are not the focal characters. The focal characters are their spouses, Mrs. Chan and Mr. Chow, who we see regularly, and they figure out the affair is going on, and we see how they cope with it, and the bond that forms between them. The bond is, is supposed to be platonic between the two of them. That's what they agree to when it starts. It only stays that way for one of them, but they end up remaining faithful to their marriages, mostly by the choice of Mrs. Chan. She turns away Mr. Chow's advances because they don't want to become what their spouses have become. We just see them coping with this in the Hong Kong of the 1960s. Mr. Chow eventually moves because he finds it too difficult to be near her but not with her. When he comes back to visit a few years later, finds out that she and her child are doing well alone, doesn't have any direct contact with her. The cinematography is gorgeous. That's something of a staple for this director. And the acting is just 
excellent. These actors are forming their characters as they're playing. So they've got a lot of sense of ownership. That may or may not be why they do so well. I don't know this cast well enough. They haven't had a lot of work in the Western world, and that's been most of my cinema viewing experience. So maybe they do this well regardless of their characters, but whatever made it work here, it works really well. They are both completely believable in these roles. And it really is the two of them. We see some scenes with the neighbors, but even Mr. Chan and Mrs. Chow, the two who are having the affair, never have their faces on screen in the final cut. There were scenes filmed that exposed their faces, but they decided that's not the way to go. The story's not about them. So they're almost like adults in a Charlie Brown cartoon where we just don't see who they're talking to. It is a romantic movie. It is about love and people searching for love and lamenting love they thought they had but they've lost. But it's not a love story as the Western audiences have come to expect. Romantic comedies in particular have a history being very formulaic to the point that when our local university started courses on film genres, looking specifically at those that have tropes that last and tropes that can be used to predict and determine everything that's going to happen in the movies, they created those tropes based on two genres, the Western and the romantic comedy, because they find that those core formulas are adhered to so strictly. This does not adhere to those. This is not a Western romantic comedy. It's just a movie where love and romance is the core. So as I said, the writer and director has had a number of credits to his name. He's actually got 31 director credits. The only other one I'd previously seen is Chunking Express. Days of Living Wild is somewhat of a prequel to this, I've learned. Maggie Chung, the female lead, Mrs. Chan, plays a character of the same name in that film. And he would go on to direct a segment of Eros, as well as 2046, which jumped out at me because it's the hotel room Mr. Chow stays in at one point in this film. Digging into it, I've learned that 2046, which I also own but haven't gotten around to, is a direct sequel to this film, as we get the same actor playing the same character there. So I'm definitely interested in seeing more of Carway Wong's films, if we can get them here. The other big-name title, at least as far as Western audiences are concerned, is Happy Together, which is a love story from 1997 about the love between two men. So Maggie Chung plays Mrs. Chan. From what I could find, it sounds like she got into acting launching out of a modeling career. She was first runner-up for Miss Photogenic in Miss Hong Kong. She was a semi-finalist in Miss World in 1983. And it was her first dramatic role in Ren Lingyu in 1991 that turned her career around, where prior to that, she was only getting roles offered to her by Western filmmakers, where she was just random, beautiful Asian woman, more as a, a background character than an actual role. She actually filmed... Uh, part in Inglorious Bastards for Quentin Tarantino that unfortunately ended up on the cutting room floor. The male lead is Tony Chiwa Lung. Again, there's an extensive filmography here, but it's loaded with films whose titles I can't even pronounce. In addition to this and 2046, he also played a role in Chunking Express for the same director, and he's had a lot of work. I believe he was also in Hero and House of Flying Daggers, 
but all of his works are listed with the original Chinese names. Uh, the only other one that stands out for me is Lust Caution, where he worked for director Ong Lee. Now, Ping Lam Su played Ah Ping, a co-worker of Mr. Chow in this. And, well, he's got seven acting credits to his name, and this is the first of them? He has more work as a prop assistant in the prop department. So he may have been cast more for his look and his demeanor. Which makes me wonder how close his character's personality is to his real-life personality. We also have Tung Cho Jo Chung. Again, 74 films to his name, but few, if any, that jump out at me as something I'm familiar with, aside from the fact that he also has 17 director credits and 12 writing credits. Rebecca Pan is their neighbor. She's got 11 acting credits to her name, but again, multiple miscellaneous crew, thanks, self. Kelly Lai Chan, 58 credits. We've got cast members that have 187 credits to their names, 85 credits, but so many of them are just movies I'm not familiar with. I will bring up Paulin Sun, mostly to highlight the differences between the priorities of the filmmakers on both sides. So she plays Mrs. Chow. So she's the woman who is involved with the affair. And she was Miss Singapore in 1994. She went to Miss Universe, and she's the one that ended up filming things on screen, but was only ultimately ever filmed from behind. Again, extremely attractive woman. If you cast her in a Western film, they're going to want you to get a very good look at her on screen. But here they allowed the art to take precedence. You don't get a good look at her, and you wouldn't know that that was her. And that's really what comes across here. This does feel like everyone's doing it for the art. So in terms of the reception from others, it was very well received. It was meant to be something that they could put together quickly and cheaply to help the director's company with its cash flow issues that it had at the time, after doing the very expensive Happy Together, and it ended up grossing $12.8 million. So I've got to think that that did very well for them. As far as IMDb voters are concerned, it's got an average score of 8.1 out of 10, which places it number 232 in their top 250 movies of all time. Letterboxd fans have given it a 4.3 out of 5. Over at Rotten Tomatoes, out of 125 critic reviews, there's 112 fresh, so that's 90% give it a positive review. 13% give it a rotten. That's an average score of 7.8 out of 10. 94% of audiences there liked it. So 53,036 user ratings with an average rating of 4.3 out of 5. So it's not universally loved, but it's certainly broadly loved and appreciated, at least by those who've been willing to give it a shot. I suspect a lot of people who wouldn't care for it aren't voting for it because they just look at it go, subtitles, not watching it, and not giving it a chance. But they should. It is a very beautifully filmed movie. It's got some really compelling performances. Just don't expect a typical Western romantic ending to this film, that's not what you're going to get. You did end up winning numerous awards at various international film festivals. It didn't get Oscar recognition, which surprises me. It makes me wonder if there's some sort of technicality. For example, maybe it didn't screen in LA, which is often a criteria for when something is eligible for an Oscar. In any event, that's about all we have to say about In the Mood for Love. 
Join us again in March when we hit our next title, which is probably going to be another Criterion collection release. I suspect we're going to be seeing a lot of those in 2019. Although we do have plans for something a little bit different in April. More on that later, but expect actually a crossover with another podcast out there. In the meantime, thank you for listening.